and we're live. Hello. Oh, hi, Mark. <laughs> I love the way that I can always use that every time I talk to you. Were you saving that just for there now? Like, <laughs> you could that one planned all week. <laughs> it's the first time you've actually said it to me. So. <laughs> I was actually saving that, yeah. Yeah. You, How's it going? You built the whole podcast around that. <laughs> um, just little, uh, I can't even remember the name of that movie. The Room. The Room. Just little room jokes. Yeah. Shout outs to The Room if anybody's not seen it. Go watch it. Yeah, shout Hilarious. Out. Shout out. Not the, I think there's two of The Room movies. One is, um, one is a bit darker than the other, isn't there? One is, isn't there an Irish The Room as well? Is there? I don't know. Is it like similar premise or? <laughs> no, like... no, no. The opposite premise. Oh, yeah. No, yeah, yeah. What's that one? Is it room. It's not their room. Room. All right, okay. Uh, yeah, that's your man, um, Abrahamson, isn't it? Lenny Abrahamson. Also a good movie. That's a great movie, yeah. What's well, actually... Uh, a, a great movie, one of them great movies that I've never seen, but you know, when everyone says, Oh, it's a good movie, like, oh, yeah, yeah, it's a good movie, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's like, What was your favorite part? Oh, that actually falls into the category of movies that I've not seen, but I'm going along with the general population as saying it's a good movie. <laughs> I don't do that for many, I think, and I actually don't do it for that one either. It just came to me, right? What's the crack? What's going on? Yeah, so what are we going to do today? We're we've had a listen back to our own efforts and uh we did i just say one thing about that actually you know listen to your voice obviously it's a, it's annoying you know and you're you, when you're especially when you're talking shy listen to my voice um, like that you <laughs> not your voice but like when each person is listening to their own voice but you remember back in the day when you like you'd have video cameras and stuff and you'd never hear the sound of your own voice and then when you did hear it yeah. It'd be just, oh, it's catastrophic. Yeah. Uh, it's not as, well, not saying that our voices are any better or whatever, but nowadays, you know, when your voice takes in people and all, and you can't yeah. send somebody a voice text and not listen back to the voice text. So you get to hear your voice a lot more these days than you would have, say, That's, 10 years ago. It's a lot less and painful. It's a lot less appalling. So there's, a, there's interesting, I have some theories around this. So there's an interesting um, finding where if you hear your voice in the company of other voices, right? So if you record, there's some signs on this. If you record uh, a sentence, like, you know, whatever the sentence, and they play you back a hundred sentences, and one of them is your voice, but you don't know it's your voice. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. You'll actually tend on average to prefer it, right? So you'll say, uh, you know, in rating each voice, say you'll give yours a seven, where you might have given the other ones a six. Um, so there's a kind of familiarity with it, presumably. And, and those oh, you start to like it. You actually like it more than you like the other ones, as long as you know it's not yours. But as soon as they tell you that that's your voice, right, there's a dissonance between what you actually hear, because you hear your own voice through the, your, the jawbone primarily, right? There's a resonance in the jawbone when you speak, and it kind of uh, gets to your hearing uh, by virtue of that channel, effectively, you're not really hearing what you project so much as you're hearing it through the, through the job one. So I think there's a dissonance, right, between what you take to be self and acknowledge and recognize as self and what someone is trying to enforce on you as actual self. 
So when you hear yourself talking back, it's not that you don't like the voice necessarily. It's that there's a discrepancy between what you register as self and what you register as not self. And that dissonance you interpret as your feeling with respect to the voice. And you go, oh, I don't like that. Thus, I don't like the voice. Mm. Interesting. There you go. There you go. Nice little segue there. Uh, <laughs> we didn't set that up, though. <laughs> I've no, been no. waiting for podcasts just to get that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, all I had was, hi, Mark, and you had the uh, the voice thing. But the um, yeah, you were saying we're listening back to it. And yeah, sorry, I cut you off mid-sentence there. Yeah, and I was just saying, um, so we, th- we talked a bit about, about the structure and, and we were saying maybe it'll be a good idea to introduce uh, some of the core concepts of EBD or say in each episode, introduce one concept and at least then we're building up this kind of repository and people are getting a bit more a sense of the theory because we mightn't get to have a full kind of explication of one particular concept in the context of walking you through the, the process, you know. And in that same breath, is that like when you introduce that core concept, can you, because we we were thinking maybe if we could have another, I don't know, analogy or a case where others that might, that might yeah, have stuck with yeah, us yeah, as far yeah. as episode three, they might have their own behaviors they're trying to change or get better at. Maybe we could introduce something that's non-jujitsu related as another reference as well. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, so we'll do that, but we'll also do that ongoing you know so you know at any point we can remember and it seems like the proper thing to do we'll um use more general examples as well just so people cool. can kind of touch base a little bit easier cool uh, so, so what yeah. course so what course concept are you going to introduce today yeah so there's loads of them that i could talk about but then it's a question of uh, how best to introduce them and one that i was thinking about at this stage because uh, it's general enough is uh this notion of behavioral cascades. Basically, the idea of behavioral cascades gets at the kind of central notion within, or one central notion that um, your behaviors are connected in more interesting ways than is often apparent. Um, so to kind of tease out this idea, I think there's an interesting example within uh, ecological science, and that's the idea of trophic cascades. So trophic cascade basically refers to trophic says something about the food chain and then cascade trophic cascade talks about say interdependencies between species in a food chain and how if you kind of knock one species out, it has this kind of, you know, uh, resonance throughout the whole uh, set of interdependencies or whatever. So there's an interesting example that's sometimes rolled out when we talk about ecology and that's the example of the reintroduction of wolves into Yellowstone National Park. Have you heard this example before? Uh, the wolves is ringing a bell, but I assume no. Right. Yeah, it comes up a lot because it's just so, say, stark or, you know, the the kind of effects of it are so impressive in a sense. So, oh, yeah, yeah. Is it a wolves change rivers type job, is it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's cool. Yeah, go on. Yeah, sorry. So wolves had been, I suppose, decimated and uh, the population was totally eradicated in Yellowstone. And because of that, the elk effectively took over the park, right? So the wolves were the apex predator. And besides um, grizzlies, I don't think there was another predator 
um, say, capable enough within the park to manage the elk, elk population. So anyway, the elks were kind of running rampant and um, doing all sorts of damage to the park. Right? So they were chewing away at all the grasses and cutting down any new tree growth. Um, and they started hanging out in places where they wouldn't have normally hung out and uh, all sorts of kind of chaos was going on. Anyway, the wolves were reintroduced to manage the deer population. And that was really the kind of intent, right? It was, wasn't uh, extending beyond that. They were just saying, look, we need to manage the population of elk in the park. So they introduced the wolves and a few, lots of interesting things that start happening. So first off with the elk, right? The elk start, well, first of all, they start running a bit more. So they get a bit healthier. They have better lives in some sense, right? And they have healthier uh, offspring and so on. But when they run, um, they start to perforate the ground. And when they perforate the ground, they start to help the soil to aerate. And then that main, means there's more water retention in the soil, right? So more ro- water retention means more growth in uh, in the grasses. And also um, because, say, the elk were no longer congregating in these open grassy areas because they no longer had the confidence to do that because they were afraid of wolves, trees started to come true again right stuff that would have been eaten away by the elk as shoots and whatnot starts to break through and and mature into trees you also have say um a reduction in the coyote population and then with the reduction in the coyote population you have the return of small rodents so mites mice and rats and so on and then with the kind of say growth of trees and the return of the rodents you have the reintroduction of a lot of birds of prey right so you already see these you know complex kind of entanglements but it kind of gets more interesting where the trees start to grow right you get beavers kind of cutting down the trees and dragging them into the rivers and so on building their dams and then you get all sorts of reintroductions within that otters and fish and so on who live and make uh, dams their niche but you also get say with the regrowth of the trees the roots of the trees stabilize the soil that's part of the riverbanks. So the river had been kind of bifurcating and breaking up into small channels and whatnot and pools and you know what was once a kind of decent, stable, solid river became quite uh, diffuse and dissipated. But with the kind of sedimentation of the soil or stabilization of the soil with the roots, uh, you get... Um, a more stable flow in the river right so there's a very clear although complex relationship between say wolves in the park and right the geography of the river right so there's just it's a really stark um, example of these kinds of interdependencies and how they have these non-linear effects where you know the output of one activity can be amplified by another activity that it affects so in the case of behavioral change right first off i'll just say that these kinds of interdependencies are are present there as well but i like to use the example of the wolf right and i think about the wolf as a keystone species or the wolf is a keystone species um, and what that basically means is uh, it has a kind of disproportionate effect on its environment right so for the amount of wolves in the park um, their activities are kind of amplified, right, disproportionately to the actually to the nature of the activities themselves. And when we define a keystone species, we also talk about if you think about an arch, 
um, that you know has a keystone in it, right? The keystone is actually essential to maintaining the arch, right, and the kind of configuration of that arch across time. But there's very little pressure on the keystone itself, right? So a keystone species, in an ecological sense, uh, tends to be something like an apex predator, like a wolf. There's not much pressure on it from uh, other predation, right? There's no adaptive pressure on it besides whatever the challenges of its environment are. Um, and in the case of behaviors, right, we can talk about keystone behaviors then as well. So something like meditation might be a good example of a keystone behavior where the outputs of the meditation are disproportionate to the effort that's required, right? And it has this nonlinear effect too. So if I meditate, just for a half an hour every day, right? It has consequences way beyond that and can kind of be amplified through these nonlinear effects through my environment. And it's what keystone. About five minutes a day. <laughs> yeah, well, I think five minutes a day too, right? It's it's <laughs> right, okay. No. I just like when anytime someone says meditate and says only for a half an hour a day, <laughs> right, right. I just I'm gone. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, we could talk about that as well because I think. Oh, right. Go Keep going. Sorry, sorry. The 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 final part of this is that, and it's important too, is that why we think about keystone behaviors is right. There's not necessarily pressure in the same way. There's no pressure on the wolf in the way, and it's a loose analogy, but it's helpful. There's yeah, not no, really good. pressure good to way. meditate, right? Besides, unless you're living in a very religious community where meditation is just a norm, right? So there's. In this, think about healthy eating, right? If you think about that as a keystone behavior, there's not pressure necessarily to eat healthy, but there is pressure to eat, right? So EBD, in a sense, is a practice of introducing those pressures such that we're responding in a way using these kind of keystone behaviors and then having multiplied or amplified effects throughout the behavioral ecology then. So like with meditation, you're saying there's no pressure on you to meditate but EBD can create pressures to make you meditate and then you would stand to benefit through this non-obvious way as the, you know, the non-linear way. Is that what you mean? Like exactly, if the, yeah. EBD versus non-EBD with meditation is you have no pressures put on you to meditate and therefore you're more, you're unlikely to do it or you would start to do it, but, but give up as you would with anything else. Right. Exactly. Yeah. All right. So, that's, that's actually a really good analogy. You know, that's kind of really kind of painted a good picture in my head. Oh, nice. Well, if you think about what a complex adaptive system does, right, and this is probably good to have in mind too, is it responds to pressures in its environment such that it can maintain a certain relationship to its environment. So what EBD is about, right, is introducing these kinds of pressures. It's about, say, moving the pressures around in a sense, such that you'll adapt in certain ways more likely such that you will more likely adapt in certain ways than others. And we, we cool. can get into the weeds of that as we go through because there's loads of interesting examples and, and it also... It's a good time to... Or a bad time to... Uh, like you've just mentioned the meditation one, like what, you know, without going into the weeds of what could be a pressure that you could put on yourself to meditate more just because you raised that example, like just a real world example. Yeah, like so... Arm, like someone... Yeah, shouting yeah. at you. <laughs> I don't know. Right, right. So, like, think of like just to give a very basic example, but you know, we come back to all of this uh, in in kind of due course. Yeah, someone shouting at you would be a pressure, right? But 
having your meditation cushion beside your bed in the morning is a kind of pressure of sorts in a, in a way that it's obvious that you can see it, right? Or if you think about... Quite, because like the feeling of guilt or the... When you get out of bed, you see uh, the meditation cushion and you feel guilty if you walk past it. It's like a, yeah. it's almost like a social pressure, is it? Even though there's no social aspect. Right. So if you already have, and we're getting into the weeds a little bit, but if All you right, already okay. have task constraints, right? And the task constraint is, I want to uh, meditate, right? There's a kind of a, in a sense, a self-generated pressure there already. So there's a kind of pressure and then there's an environmental constraint we'll talk about. And so from both ends, there's this thing that's making the behavior more probable. And then you will adapt in accord with those kind of pressures if they're uh, of the right kind of a, how would you say, if they're of the right amount. But look, uh, it's hard to explain that without going through some of the, you know, okay. without we'll doing get it, to it. We'll in, get to it. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So um, should we talk about the little software, the ISM you, you touched on last week, or do you want to round out anything else on that core concept? No. Do you, do you have any other questions on it or anything like that? No, that was good for me. Uh, I, I, I get it. That was a good analogy. And so basically what I see for, for my jujitsu is that I'm going to have some keystone behaviors, you know, in training. And, you know, I suppose when you think a bit more about it, like behaviors actually in the match, but more so, I suppose, in training to get myself there for, at this point is I'm going to be, I'm going to need, have certain behaviors uh, to make sure I'm in the best day possible when I present to the competition. And in order to make sure those behaviors are practiced to the extent that is required, we will be introducing some pressures and constraints by using this EBD or eco behavioral design. Right. Exactly. To, to say, I use the, the notion of pressure almost analogous, and that's why it's hard to explain it. So we're probably as well sticking with the notion of constraints, right? All right, okay. And we'll so talk about limiting, constraints. Yeah, yeah. limiting and enabling constraints, which are, in a sense, kind of pressures, right? Cool, cool. All right, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, all right. Well, let's talk about the ISM then. So remind me what ISM means, the program. Shout outs to Michael Hogan, is it? Yeah, shouts out to Michael Hogan. Um, I'd have to check again what ISM actually means because I've just been causing, calling it ISM for years until last <laughs> week. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I'd explain to everybody again quickly what it is and what we've done during the week, I suppose. Yeah, and we can just give them a, a brief little demonstration of what that entails as well. Or maybe start at the finish. So what I'm looking at now is a flow chart, a flow chart that reads left to right. And this has been generated on what we, we done during the week. Uh, so this is my, my end result of what we, we done and what you're about to explain. Right. <clears throat> and say, if we pull a few things from this flow chart, what we were trying to get at is there's all sorts of interdependencies between say behaviors and certain I know, states of being and you know there's so many things that are involved in this process that it's complex to say know where to start precisely right you need to be have a to to have confidence in your approach you need to have a sense that 
um, the thing that you're doing now has impacts for the thing that you'll be doing later so that you're kind of amplifying uh, any of your efforts. So what what we do in the ISM is you put it you put in all these uh, components or elements, right? So I'll just read a few of them off. Strength, game plan, know your key performance indicators, uh, head and arm technique, because that was part of your game, pressure passing, stabilization and transitions, fight in tournaments. <laughs> right, so you've we ended up with about twenty one different elements. Through a brainstorming session, essentially. Yeah, through a brainstorming session, yeah. And you enter all them into the ISM, and the ISM generates these question pairs, or I'm sure there's some technical term that, that Michael and co use that I don't have offhand, but what they basically ask you to do is ask questions about the relationship between the elements that you enter, right? So it'll say something like, does strength have significant consequences for flexibility, right? And then you will say something like, no. Right. And then we'd ask, does flexibility have a significant impact on strength? And you give some answer. Does flexibility, I don't remember this one. Does flexibility have an impact on strength? Yes. Right. So you go through that and it, presents you with the pairs that you have to respond with the questions to. And then you basically generate a map once you've gone through all of them. And what comes up is this flow chart. And then the flow chart is basically saying, look, this thing here, knowing your key performance indicators, which is basically to the furthermost left of the chart as I'm looking at it, is relevant to basically everything else in the chart. So that's something that you should get clear quickly. Once you get that clear click quickly, you'll have a better sense of how to relate to the things that follow from it. Right. Should we just read out what's on the chart? Because that's probably hard to follow if you're listening. Right. So just get, maybe just give one or two kind of lines through it. Right. So through this session, I answered yes, no, yes, no, yes, no to all these questions which were generated by the ISM as a result of our brainstorming. And this is what it spat out. So looking... From left to right, it says at the top, right? So clear goals and know my KPIs. That's my first box. So from there, it draws a line straight through to training in my own time, have a game plan. From there, it goes to have strength and muscle so that you don't gas. And there's an, a separate line going to top game. So following the top game one, for instance, just as an example, it goes on to head and arm technique. So I've been proficient in head and arm technique. And from there, it goes to stabilization in transitions. And from there to bring it home. So bring it home being the last one. So like, all right, finishing strong, I suppose that was the, the, what I said, bring it home. Yeah. So what's that telling me if I, if I go from left to right? So I've, I, I have my clear goals. I have my game plan. And the game plan is my top game. And in that top game, I'm going to be trying to use head and arm technique quite a bit because that's one of, in the brainstorming session, that's one thing I think I'm not bad at. Uh, for those people that aren't jujitsu practitioners, head and arm, head and arm, shout outs, Ryan Hall, <laughs> uh, jitsu practitioner extraordinaire. I am actually uh, waiting for his DVD. Oh, nice. Head and arm triangles. Can you believe like, I don't know when he made it, probably 10, 15 years ago. And it's still like, Raid is one of the, the best guides of jiu-jitsu around. 
Really? Yeah. Uh, and it's only on DVD. And it's like, what? Oh, why is Schleibai about that? Probably making good money off it, no? But like, why not do digital? Yeah, true, true. I don't think it's his. I think it's, uh, well, obviously he makes money off it, but some other crowd, you know, it's Ground Fighter or Ground. I can't remember the website I bought it off. But yeah. anyways, uh, looking forward to getting that. So that's going to help me get better than that. So head and arm technique stabilization and transitions yeah basically head and arm sorry i never finished that head and arm triangles is when you can uh catch an opponent with a triangle with your arms so basically you make a triangle shape with your own arms around their neck and one of their arms and you squeeze and they either fall unconscious or they tap yeah as we talked about in the first episode. So from there, yeah, head and arm technique, stabilization transitions, which meant that as I progress from, say, on top of somebody or from the side of somebody to on top of them, so from side mount to full mount, I stabilize each time because in competitions, it's only through stabilizing you will pick up points. And then the final part was bring it home. So my experience has showed me in anything that I com- competed at where I might have fallen off was the final few moments or the last few kilometers or the last few minutes depending on the event and that's where i would you know finish poorly so i think to win this competition the point of difference i need to have is to bring it home you know be have the last few minutes being my strongest few minutes if that's even possible so what does that tell me when i read that left right so if you think Think about it at each stage, right? So if I know my KPIs, right, my key performance indicators, that allows me to construct the best game plan, right? So if I go into my game plan, right, think about it, the inverse relationship. If I tried to develop my game plan without knowing my KPIs, I might actually be missing out on something, right? So if, if I know my KPIs, I can do a better game plan. Now, if I have my game plan, that's going to inform how I play my top game. Right, but if I'm just playing top game with no sense of my game plan, right, I'm going to be worse off because I could be missing out on something. Right, so you can see how each domino is affecting the other. If I know my top game, then that's going to inform how best I approach head and arm technique. But if I'm just developing a head and arm technique without having really established my game plan and knowing what that is, or my top game and knowing what that is, and my game plan and my you know KPIs, I might be at a loss for something. So, so the way the flowchart is constructed, it's kind of like this is the way I need to approach my preparation is know my goals or keep KPIs, whatever we want to call them, get my game plan in order. And only when I have those things in, sorted, will it make sense to be getting good at my top game? And only when I have that sorted, is it like an order? You right. Know, but it's not I'd like, get, it doesn't say don't train game, don't train top game until you have these in order. It's just saying... These are important to get in order quickly. Um, right. Okay. You know what I mean. And yeah, it's ex- exactly how it's how it's kind of unfolding. I'm interested for you though. Like, did you find a sense of clarity coming from this process? Yes. Well, I wouldn't say clarity. I'd say it's getting clearer. Right, but from the actual IDSM itself and doing that, not the process writ large. Does the it ISM, give you? S- you mean? Or the ISM, IDSM is actually another thing. Uh, <laughs> there's too many acronyms. The, do you have a sense of, okay, now I have a little bit more confidence that if I approach this, I know I'm sequencing my, my 
approach a bit a bit more confidently yeah i do i do it's yeah. got me starting to think about what's going to be required because before you know i just go to jujitsu training and i just train right and my logic i suppose and i had never thought about it so it's hard to know yeah, all right, I'll give an example. For the last competition I'd done, which I didn't have any EBD prep with, I would have just, I didn't have a game per se. It's just like train as much as I can and go. And then I might have a submission that I know I'm good at and try and somehow, you know, get that. Right. That was kind of my general approach. Now it's, a, I like, I like detail and stuff and I like, you know, putting stuff on paper and whatnot. So like seeing, constructing how I go about winning this like i say knowing my goals getting my my top game in order getting bettering and bettering my head and arm technique making sure i stabilize and, and bring it home if i can bring all of that into all of my training sessions right. from now until the competition well hopefully it's kind of second nature by the time i, I get there yeah 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 yeah. i think it's a really powerful process like for me say with my phd just to give another example early on you know, one thing I was doing was, okay, you have all these, say, in cognitive science, you're dealing with a lot of different literatures and different frameworks, and you're trying to bring them all together and say something coherent. And uh, it's, it's just very challenging. And part of the challenge is, like, I, I'm just so overwhelmed, I don't know where to start reading. And um, me going through this process, I was able to go, right, if I get a handle on, say, dynamical systems theory, that's going to help me understand this thing down the line. But this thing down the line doesn't really help me understand dynamical systems theory. So I better spend a bit of time on dynamical systems theory. And from that, then I was generating, say, flashcards to get up to pace on that quickly. And then I could kind of continue with the other literatures. And what I ended up doing was, you know, something very similar to what's going on here. Um, so you can see how like a really complex domain can be broken down in a way that you can approach it with confidence. So for those people at home that don't have ISM software, what kind of questions can they ask themselves? So again, you talk a lot, are they just yeah. at a loss and they should stop listening now or what can no, they do? No, I don't think so, but I don't know the exact algorithm by which this thing works, but there are other, say, just heuristics that you can employ. So something like uh, an 80-20 analysis is useful i think so if people aren't familiar the 80 20 is sometimes called a Pareto principle as it as it might be applied in in a domain like this asks okay what is the 20 percent of say effort, effort that leads to 80 percent of the cause or sorry the output so if i work on say can you do you have any examples at the top of your head from well, say, 20% of the something? effort that gives at least 80 percent of the gains i would say gains is rather than output right yeah so you're going to get you know the most bang for your buck kind of thing right and you the, see the it is, least amount of effort but the greatest amount of gain right so if you were thinking about how do i approach training and you might ask yourself okay where am i where do i really need to be good that i'm not presently good and what is that thing that's going to have the most kind of consequence for me Right, large. So if you're really, really unfit, but you have some sort of technique and you're saying, how can I get up to a better standard overall? Uh, you might be kind of, you know, your efforts might be best served focusing on getting fit for the next competition. Or if you're, say, if, you're, if you've no 
real say super tight submissions but you always end up in top and kind of fighting for a submission but not really knowing what to do well then you kind of have a sense well i have a kind of i have a a bit of a a plan to get to where i need to be to to enact a submission but i don't have a submission from there and it's probably i don't know maybe i'm wrong on this but like for me that's why the head and arm triangles is kind of come in it's like i know you know with a small amount of work just you know focusing on that i'm going to have a huge amount of returns because i already know that my my head and arm triangles are are decent they're not excellent obviously i'm a blue belt you know but they're not bad and then if i can put a little bit more effort i'm going to have you know i'm getting a lot of a lot of submissions for the amount of work i have to put in there versus trying to cover all my bases and try go to train and try and triangles try and you know rear naked try, trying to do everything with a small amount of effort to get no gains Right. Would that be a good example too? Yes, yes. Uh, that's probably a better example than the one I was given. And I, I think um, it reminded me of like when I started to focus on my game as a pressure passer, all of a sudden, say, the, the kind of return on output went through the roof because all of a sudden I was developing, say, comp- a kind of integrated set of competencies in a specific area that allowed me to have more skill over my opponent within that area, even if they were, say, a higher belt or something. So what's a pressure passer for, for those that are non jujitsu people? So pressure, so... Annoying. Part, <laughs> yeah, it's very annoying. A big part of the game with jujitsu is moving from, say, an opening position where two people are kind of facing off and not really fully engaged to somebody trying to get past the legs and into a position of, say, dominance or control. And that's a, actually a very challenging process, especially if you're going up against someone who has some experience on you or whatever. Um, Sounds easy. <laughs> it does sound easy, yeah. But there's some Just pass the legs. Huh? That's easy. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, so the pressure passing game is really an effort to kind of gain control over the legs, the lower half of the body, and then kind of slowly work your way up. Um, so it kind of shuts down a lot of the more, say, technically minded or technical technique. And it's kind of a bit of a brutish approach, but it works for me because I'm a bit bigger. So it suits my frame and my structure. And also I'm a bit older, so I'm probably a bit slower than... Um, so you had a lot of returns from that when you started because you were saying you were passing like brown belts, guards and whatever, and you might have been doing that before. Yeah, well, I wouldn't get, I wouldn't be so... Cocky that it's right. like just flying past brown belt <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. I, maybe you passed it once, passing yeah, a dude's yeah. guard once. But it was like, yeah, all of a sudden you're passing someone's guard who you weren't previously, right? And, you know, that's saying like, well, if I put 20% or 80% of my effort into, into kind of 20% of the technique, I get a huge return on that. Whereas if that was just kind of distributed across a whole you know, set of techniques, you wouldn't get the same return, right? Because you're not developing the real depth in any one particular area. Right. And right. I think what you see with black belts, a lot of black belts is, you know, they have a set game, right? And they know it inside out and it works as this kind of integrated coherent whole because they've worked from one position for long enough. I often describe it like, it's like playing a video game where you're just playing the same uh, kind of stage over and over and over again. 
And eventually you get to the point where like, you know, everything that's coming around the corner, every kind of contingency or possibility. Oh, that's a good, uh, good analogy too. Like, yeah, I just pictured like Nintendo there straight away. You remember like how much we used to play that back in the day, Mario Brothers or whatever, you'd know exactly when the, were they turtles or something that used to come flying at you? Right, <laughs> and right. you'd know, yeah, when you jump up and hit the, uh, hit the coins and which little green pipe to go down, you right. had the level. Like you get so hand. specific, you know, you'd be like, okay, right, when you come to this brick in the bridge, you need to jump or whatever. So, and I think, yeah, there's something similar. But if you were just playing random uh, stages from, you know, you got the cheat code and you could play every stage, you never actually develop the proficiency because you don't kind of meet the same contingencies over and over again such that you kind of learn from them. Well, it's the same with Antel, I suppose, really, then, isn't it? Like, you know, every every training, you know, and that's why, you know, the, the most the most widely known way of getting better at something is just to practice. <laughs> right. And to kind of limit the scope of what it is that you're practicing on. I think says something like um, the best education is one in which you kind of uh, take a few things and learn them deeply and then throw them into every combination possible. And I think there's yeah. some truth to that. And uh, what was old Bruce Lee saying? I'd rather be standing opposite a guy that's tried a thousand different punches once versus a guy that's tried one a thousand times. Something, something, some, something, something around that. But it's the same premise, you know. Yeah, I think we just, I think we just murdered uh, <laughs> just murdered two and Bruce there. Lee. <laughs> <laughs> so, shout outs to Bruce that's Lee there. Sorry about that. Uh, righty, all right, cool. Uh, so let's in in a uh, let's bring it all home in 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 EBD speak. Right. So um, yeah, what we're going to do uh, now is what kind of time have we left in this session? Don't want, I don't want to say that I have to go into jujitsu ten minutes because you because you do because. <laughs> So for anybody who's listening, it's not like this purposeful thing. We are on opposite sides of the world. And, and this time to just happens to suit us. Is, uh, it, it happens to suit for this small segment. So apologies if it sounds like we're, uh, we're cutting these episodes short. We will try and make better time going forward. But, you know, it is what it is. Hopefully you're getting some benefit in the little... And I'm certainly getting benefit. And, you know, I hope you are too, Mark. So that was kind of the original purpose. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. Uh, so how would you like to finish this one out? Because you kind of touched on the core principle, we've touched on the ISM. You know, I know we have a bit more of onboarding to do. Should we we finish up with a few more of them questions? Or do you want well, to just how long do we have? Because, you know, there's still, I, I think if we're going to hit that, we'll hit it um, wholeheartedly. With the appropriate amount of time. Yeah, yeah, okay, well then let's not, not do that today. So maybe what we'll finish off with today is just some baseline stuff because we've talked about having these goals and things and it's I think it's always good to be able to measure performance and yeah. uh, you know uh, that's the kind of work I do in, in my particular job is controls and project controls and we're always looking at how we measure performance uh, you know you've baselines and how you're tracking against baselines and whatnot so um, I think it's good for anybody it's good for me to know you know at what where I'm at now and then we can measure how we're going so Right. Would it be? Is that a good idea? Yeah. Yeah, I'm thinking like in terms of um, it'd be interesting to do that in terms of the key performance indicators, right? Because then we're we're actually starting into the process. Then. Yeah. Cool. Cool. So have we have we thought through, or have you thought through them at some stage, or is that maybe something we could mm. do here right now? I think for me to try and like 
to start shooting out the KPIs now off the top of my head will be a kind of It'd be a bit rushed or something a bit of a struggle so yeah. yeah maybe we could save that for the next time I think that's a bit of homework for you then um, for the next oh, lovely. time I haven't got homework in a long time so thanks for that it actually <laughs> puts the fear that kind of that, that word homework throws the fear into me yeah, yeah that's, a, that's a bit of exciting uh, you know exploration for you discovery all right, so the next episode, I'll come back in with, I won't go through it now, with my baseline and those KPIs so that we will have a clear, measurable goals and objectives. Yeah, yeah. But let's talk through where you're at at present. So just to give us a sense of that. And, you know, stuff might emerge there that's kind of relevant to the intake process as well. But um, we will, I think it's important for us to like, get on the road here and start you know because you only have nine months right so we need to get you in 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 in, in order like well nine months seems like a long time that's why you're saying it's you kind of put the fear of me there as well yeah you're, you're trying to win the world championship here, man. <laughs> yeah man yeah okay yeah i know i understand yeah but look at it all right so that's what we should say right at the moment it's not as if we're starting this fella's just walked in off the road and he's trying to win the world championship in nine months so a bit of background i'll give you my last week for example yeah what i done last week and maybe that's a starting point we don't have to tie the kpis to it immediately but maybe they'll they'll come to it next week so last all right so we had the session so starting on monday so again monday and wednesday so Monday, Wednesday, this week in particular, I had a free week at the gym, so I just used that. So just de- deadlifted Monday and Wednesday with a small bit, 15 minutes on the bike, so a bit of training. Tuesday and Thursday, jiu-jitsu, boat nights. Friday, nothing. Friday's kind of my off day, if I have an off day during the week. So no training, pizza and beer, just chilling at home with the fam, with the wife and the dog. So, yeah, that for me, like, you know, my, my weeks are always good. Monday through Thursday is like always good for training. Friday is my like binge day where I kind of let a bit, I won't say let loose. That sounds like I'm in my twenties where we just sit at home and watch Netflix. Uh, but you know, I, I, I won't have the same diet and the same strict regime that I might have Monday through Thursday. So train on Monday through Thursday, binging last night. Now I'm going to go to jiu-jitsu again today and I'll probably go for a jog tomorrow. That's kind of my thing. You know, Monday through Thursday, eat healthy. You know, I don't, yeah. we don't need to go to diet necessarily yet or whatever, but eat generally healthy. And then Friday, Saturday, Sunday, generally don't. So that's kind of something that I'm going to have to get better at, obviously, because one, if I want to try and get down to lightweight, which we, we'll see how we go for the other reason than just so I can train better because you know if I have beer and, and pizza on a Friday it kind of throws me off Saturday and Sunday so there I think if I can remove that maybe going forward uh, I don't know but at the same time you need an off day too don't you you need to relax yeah I suppose uh, it depends uh, how think about the behavioral cascade you know how is it um, how is it cascading through your the rest of your your kind of days and weeks I find like you know, booze for me is is a killer, but I know I'm not. I know it's not. It's not normal necessarily. Uh, Dad reckons he's never had a hangover in his life. <laughs> <laughs> I I beg to differ. I've I've seen him hungover. Um, I, I, yeah, not in the comments. He just gets quiet. <laughs> yeah, suffers in silence. But. Uh, yeah, yeah, but I, I think my, my diet decisions the day after I have a few pints 
is the, the, the thing that goes, like today now, for instance, uh, if I look at chocolate or if I look at some comfort food, I'll, it'll be a lot more appealing to me today, even though I'm not hungover, but it'd be more appealing to me today than it had. It, it would have been on Wednesday. And maybe right. that's something I need to work on. But Think about anyways, it, yeah, I look at, yeah, so look at it. Might, huh? I was going to say that's a great example of, of that kind of cascade, isn't it? Yeah. But jiu-jitsu during the week, again, not super good. You know, I was go, uh, going well in some roles, tapped out in other roles, learning the whole time. Haven't really started to implement my game plan yet, but I think now when I go to jiu-jitsu today, looking at this flowchart again, I'm going to try and keep that stuff and start getting into my game and start really kind of tailoring my sessions, my training sessions towards winning the worlds versus just going training. Because that's what they are at the moment. It's just turning up still. Right. Yeah, and it's hard. It's hard. Like, there's you know, there's a lot of stuff going on. You have to show up and just get into training and being there is a challenge in itself, right? So, our challenge will be to structure all that process so that you're kind of reminding yourself the right things at the right time and having the resources so that you can kind of, you know, act on them. Cool. Um, anything else in terms of like, I don't know, baseline? Yeah. Yeah, we'll we'll go back to a next next visit. I'll think about it a bit more and kind of detail as you know. Maybe I can just give the likes of you know weight and uh, I don't know. Yeah, have, I think that'll be it. Takes me like, to run, uh, run. You know, my physical baseline versus you know, right. and because I've kind of given a bit of my behavioural baseline there, and I'm probably the same as a lot of people. You know, good during the week, not great at the weekends. It's kind of average thirty something. Yeah, the. Um, I think having numbers for people listening in will be interesting. So, you know, it's not maybe hugely important for what we're doing as as of yet, but yeah, getting those stuff will be kind of interesting to kind of track as we go through it. Anything we can leave people with or leave people on? Any cliffhangers? Uh, no, but uh, they should, if you that wolf analogy was a good one. So I think just go, I think it was uh, Tim Ferriss that was talking about recently. So if you just jump on, YouTube and you'll find it. How Wolves Change Rivers is actually a good little few minute video. Yeah, there's the, a uh, journalist George Manabo, I think is how you pronounce his name. Great, He's, uh, butchering quotes and authors' names here, so sorry about that. Oh, he has a great video of it. That's probably the one you're on about, isn't it? That's probably the one I'm talking about, yeah. yeah. Right, uh, so I'll leave it at this. Okay, bye, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> All right, sure. Uh, yeah, we'll talk again soon, so. Ciao. Yeah.